All right, all right. Good morning. So good to be uh, together today, especially as we uh, get closer and closer to Christmas. So next Sunday is Christmas Eve, and of course we'll gather that day in this room again to worship, and it'll be a really sweet day, I think, to worship as a family. And then because it's Christmas Eve next Sunday, that means that Monday is what? Christmas Day, which means that as of today, and I don't want to scare any parents or freak anybody out, we're eight days from Christmas, right? Is that amazing? Is anybody else feeling the tension rising, your blood pressure like, you know? (laughs) I'm sure you've already been asked this morning by more than one person this question, what is it? Are you ready for Christmas, right? That's the question that everybody wants to know. You know, you ready yet? You got it all done yet? You ready? And the answer, of course, is what? No! (laughs) No! Who's got time to get ready for Christmas when you have to work and go to school and got a family and all the other things that we have going on? No, not ready for Christmas. There's so many preparations for Christmas. Am I right? Can I get a name in? Yeah, all the ladies are like, yes, right? <laughs> There's all, all, all the preparations, all the decorating, all the, the gifts to wrap, all the, all the special little things that no one else knows about that, have, that has to happen to make all the traditions and all the, all the memories, and it's all so much fun. There's Christmas cookies to bake and treats to make, and, you know, the closer we get, you know, just the more frenetic activity, you know, grows. I took my, uh, my, my kids to the mall this weekend to get a couple of things. It was crazy. You couldn't move. It was like they were herding cattle through the hallways, you know? Like, it's, it's, it's that time of year. Everybody's getting ready. And, and, and you know, you know this, uh, that, that the, the most exciting part, at least for some of us, maybe not all of us, I don't know, I shouldn't say that, probably too general there. One of the exciting things, I'll say it that way, about Christmas is looking or searching for that perfect gift for someone. It's sort of making preparations to give that gift that you know someone special to you will really, they would like to receive. It's important, you know, because the things that matter the most take the most preparation. And you know this if you've ever received one of these gifts. I'm not talking about receiving a gift card, right? I'm talking about when you received... And parents, it could be as simple as like your kid making you like that ornament from school or whatever, you know. Uh, it was really special because they made it, right? Whenever you receive something handcrafted or something of great worth or something that you know someone saved up their money to get for you because it was really expensive or really nice, you thought maybe it was even too much to ask for. But when you woke up Christmas morning and you realized that they had given it to you, you felt what? I mean, joy, excited, you know, this is awesome. But you probably also felt like you were a person of great value and worth because they had done this for you. I'll never forget last Christmas, uh, one of my daughters, my youngest daughter, Emma, um, she wanted a Welly Wisher dollhouse. Now, I know some of you are asking the same question that I was asking this time last year. What is a Willy Wisher? And why does she need a dollhouse, right? And so I didn't know what that was either. And if you don't know what that is, I would encourage you to find a young girl between the ages of 6 and 12. And she can explain it to you much better than I can after church today. She wanted this dollhouse for her dolls. And uh, we go online to look at, you know, getting this thing for her and find out it's actually a pretty expensive deal to get a Willy Wisher dollhouse. I know you're probably surprised like I am to learn that. And we're thinking, you know, I don't know if we can afford this. I don't know if we can get this. Well, Emma, my youngest, uh, is uh, a smart uh, little thing, and she knew there's one, as my dad would say, there's more than one way to skin a cat. I don't know why anybody would want to skin a cat. Anyway, um, so she goes to him, to my father, uh, her papa, 
who is, and you may know this, you've heard me tell stories, he's handy, he can, he's one of those guys who can make anything, build anything, some of you are like that, you've got this, this talent, this gift for, for making things, for building things, and she goes up to him with those big puppy dog eyes and tells him that she really wants this Willie Wisher doll house, but mommy and daddy said no, you know. And of course, what is he going to do? He looks at it, he's like, yeah, I can make that, you know, he's pretty handy, my mom's pretty crafty, and so... He decides he's going to make this Willie Wisher dollhouse for my daughter, which is, again, it's fantastic. Well, we get there Christmas, and uh, last year, and a few days before, we're going to open gifts to kind of celebrate and eat and kind of ramp up and realize when we get there that he started this project, but he hasn't finished it, right? And so all of a sudden, it's like all hands on deck. Me and Dad are out in the back shop. You know, we're cutting the pieces. We're sanding the wood. We're nailing it and gluing it and screwing it. And, and, you know, I don't know what to do. He's showing me, and I'm trying to help. And we get enough of it kind of built and put together. We bring it inside. My wife and my sister start painting this thing. And and my mom is like sewing curtains. Who needs curtains? I don't know. Uh, They've got wallpaper involved. Like, this is elaborate. This is extensive. This is taking a lot of work. Dad and I go back out to the shop because he's bought literally hundreds of shingles that are less than an inch big that we've got to individually place on the roof and, you know, to make the roof just perfect with shingles that have got to be stained and sealed. And finally, we get all of this done and put together. And the next morning is going to be the day we celebrate, you know, gifts. And we wake up, we do all the presents. And, of course, the last present is when we get to bring in this literally handmade, handcrafted, welly-wisher dollhouse. And you know what for me was so cool? Two things. One, getting to see my daughter's face when she saw it, right? And just her face lit up. It was just awesome, you know. It's what she had dreamed of, and it was better than what she'd wanted because it was made by her papa with some help, <laughs> mostly by him. But the other thing that was so cool was watching his face, watching the face of my father. as he got to give this gift that he had planned and drawn out and mapped out and cut out and crafted and made and built for her. And you know this if you've ever been the recipient of a gift like this, that the gifts that matter most are those gifts that, that took the most preparation. And when you received that gift, oh, you felt like a person of such worth and such value because you knew the time and the effort that it took for that gift to be made possible. So it shouldn't surprise us this morning that when we talk about the greatest gift the world has ever known, that from the beginning of time, all the way back at the Garden of Eden, God, our Father, started making preparations for this gift that would one day be sent and received. And it started in the Garden like we talked about a few weeks ago when When God had to literally sacrifice some of the animals he had just created to make clothing for Adam and Eve to cover their sin and their shame. It started when God gave Adam and Eve a third son, a son by the name of Seth. And it was through that son that one day his son would be born. The story continued when God came to Abraham and Sarah in their old age. And they had, they had long since forgotten the prayer that they had prayed that they might one day have kids. But God said, the time is not up. For that prayer to be answered, and God gave them a son named Isaac, and it was through that son that one day another son, his son, would be born, and love would come down to us through them, through him. It was when, when love came down to Ruth, a Moabite, an outsider, a foreigner, God came down to her. 
And he led her to Boaz, her kinsman redeemer, and they would have a son. And his son would be named Obed, and he would have a son named Jesse. He would one day have a son named David. You know him as King David. And it's through that son that one day another son would be born. God's son. Over and over and over again throughout all of human history, God has been at work. Love has been coming down. God has been descending over and over again. Preparations are being made. For the greatest gift the world has ever known to be given. So today I want us to look at one more story. A story of a day that another son was given. But this son, this son isn't in the direct line of Jesus. Although he is a relative. And Luke gives us us a story. If you want to open up your Bibles or turn on your device and open up to Luke chapter 1. Here we have a story that Luke has researched and written out for us about a son that was given to a woman by the name of Elizabeth. And in Luke 1, verse 5, this is how the story goes. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife, Elizabeth, was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous This is important now. They were righteous in God's eyes. They were careful to obey the Lord's commandments and regulations. But they had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive. And now they were both very old. Now if you've been here the last few weeks, this story may sound like another story we we looked at a few weeks ago of Abraham and Sarah, also old in age. And here again we have another couple, Zechariah and Elizabeth, who were older in years. And like Abraham and Sarah, they they had been praying for children, but they had never been given any children. Here we have two people who had been faithful to God. They had done everything God had ever wanted them to do. They had obeyed every commandment, kept every regulation. They had lived faithful and obedient lives to God. But they had also endured a lifelong struggle. And like a lot of us know from our own personal lives, they had dealt with some pain. And they had dealt with one of the hardest things for us to deal with, unanswered prayer. For them, God had felt silent. God had seemed distant. It seemed like God wasn't near. They had been faithful to God, but it seemed like God, at least in this one thing, had not heard their prayer. Now they're in their old age, and they had never had kids. But what I appreciate so much about Zechariah and Elizabeth is their resilience. What I love about this couple is that their faith isn't easily broken. It's, it's, it's what I love about people Over and over again throughout Scripture, people of faith that we read about, it's what I love about people that I know personally, who who throughout their life, things have not gone the way they had wanted. They have not seen God answer some of the very specific prayers that they have prayed, but they have not given up on God. Zechariah and Elizabeth, just like a lot of people that I know, probably like a lot of people you know, even though at times God seemed distant, even though they prayed prayers that it doesn't seem like he's hearing or at least he's not answering, they have not lost their faith in God. They have not given up on God. 
even though it seems like God is far away. They haven't given up on God. It's as if just knowing God is enough. And their faith in God, their hope in God, it isn't dependent on what have you done for me lately. It's as if just knowing God is enough. But this isn't how the story is going to end for Zechariah and Elizabeth. The story goes on, verse 8. One day, one day Zechariah was serving God in the temple. So he's doing what he's always done. Faithfully, obediently serving God. Today he's serving God in the temple. For his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priest, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. For a lot of priests, this was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And today, Zechariah, it's his turn. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside and they were praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. You're right. (laughs) Don't be afraid. And then I want you to listen to, I want you to underline, I want you to highlight the very next words the angel speaks. He says, God has heard your prayer. Wow. All these years, Zechariah and Elizabeth have faithfully served God. All these years, they haven't given up on God. It's as if just knowing God is enough for them. Uh, they had even forgot they had probably even prayed for this. They had prayed for it so long and it had gone and answered. But yet, here in this moment, Zechariah is in the temple performing his duty. And it's an awesome and an honor and an incredible moment. And in this moment, he sees an angel. And the angel says one of the first things out of his mouth is these words. God has heard your prayer. The only problem is God has been silent for 400 years. I'm not just talking about a lifetime of unanswered prayers. I'm not talking about decades of praying the same thing over and over again without hearing any answer. I'm talking about 400 years of silence where God has not performed any miraculous signs for his people, where there has been no prophet or no word from God. Zechariah and Elizabeth, like all of their people, are living under Roman oppression. You could say that at this point in their history, God has never seemed farther away. And now they're old. Year after year, Zechariah had held his wife, prayed for his wife, cried for his wife, cried out to God for his wife, prayed this prayer over and over again, but it seemed like God Never heard. But now in this moment when Zechariah is in the temple, faithfully serving God, doing what he was supposed to do, continuing to live a faithful life of obedience to God here in this moment, an angel comes and says, God has heard your prayer. In the middle of his obedience, in the middle of his faithfulness, God encounters Zechariah. And the angel says, God has heard your prayer. And your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son. And you're going to name him John. And you will have great joy and gladness. And many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. 
He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth. And he, get this, verse 16, he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah, and he will get this, underline this, circle this. He will prepare. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Not only has God heard your prayer, he's going to answer your prayer. And he's going to do it at just the right time, and he's going to do it in a miraculous way. Because God is a good father. He's a generous God. God has heard you. God has heard your prayers. God hears you, and God has been preparing you. And at just the right time, God is going to use And this isn't the message today, but if you need to hear this, I want you to hear this today, that God hears you when you pray. And God is preparing you. And at just the right time, don't ever forget this, God wants to use you to do something that will be for His glory. God hears you. He prepares you. And at just the right time, God wants to use you. God had heard. God had heard every whisper Zechariah and Elizabeth had spoken. God heard. God heard every time they cried. God was there every night they lay awake at night and couldn't sleep and the tears just rolled off of their faces. God was present. The God who seemed distant could not have been more near. The God who seemed deaf could not have been more in tune. God who seemed so, so unaware could not have been more aware of what they had been praying for. And here in this moment, Zechariah finds out that God hears you. God was listening, and God is going to answer this prayer. And he's going to do immeasurably more than they could ever have asked or dreamed of or imagined. God saw them struggle, just like parents see their kids struggle, and they don't understand it, they don't know what's going to happen. But as good parents, you can stand back and watch. You you know they were never out from under your protection. They were never out from under your provision. But at the right time, you know they're going to see it. They couldn't see it then, but they're about to see it. God is about to do something amazing because God has heard their prayer. And he's going to give them a son. But for them, their faithfulness and their obedience to God wasn't contingent on his performance. God saw that too, by the way. And now... God was ready to answer. He had a plan. He had a purpose. He had an idea. And the plan? The plan was to give them a son, and this son was going to prepare the way. Did you see that? Prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. Their son would be the son who would prepare the way for the son of God to come into the world. Love came down to Zechariah and Elizabeth so that love could come down to all of us. And hundreds of years before Zechariah and Elizabeth even prayed this prayer, there was a prophet named Isaiah who spoke of a day that this son would come to them, that this son would be born, that this son would come to prepare the way for Jesus to come. 
And Luke recorded those words too that were written by Isaiah hundreds of years before in Luke 3, verse 4. Isaiah said this, Luke quoted him, He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming. Clear the road for him. The valleys will be filled. The mountains and the hills made level. The curves will be straightened. And the rough places made smooth. And then all people will see the salvation sent from God. God had been working for thousands of years leading up to this moment to prepare. To prepare the way for Jesus to come into the world. And John would be the one. Their son, John, would be the one to prepare the way for Jesus. And if you roll the tape forward, about 30 some odd years, there's a man named John who's now an adult. And some people think he's a little off. Some people think he's a little weird. He's out in the wilderness... They say he, he dresses in camel's hair. Some people say he eats locusts and wild honey for food. That's a little strange. But people are coming from all around to hear what John is saying. Now remember, God has been silent for 400 years. People are beginning to talk. Is John a prophet sent from God? Because it kind of sounds like he is. He speaks with this prophetic voice. And he says things like, The kingdom of heaven is near. And literally every day, crowds are gathering around him. People are coming to be baptized by John. You may know his nickname, John the Baptist. And one day, oh, this was a, I wish I could have been here this day. One day, John is out there in the middle of the Jordan River. Crowds are gathered around him, and he's preaching and preparing the way for Jesus to come. And people have gathered around him, and, and there are some who are skeptical, there are some who are believing, there are some who are unsure, there are some who have come down to the water to be baptized that very moment, and all of a sudden, it all stops. John stops what he's saying. He stops what he's doing. Because he's looked up into the crowd, and he takes his long, bony finger, and he points, and everybody looks. And John says these words that we'll never forget. Behold! Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And everybody looked. And do you know who they saw? Jesus. It was John. It was John who first identified Jesus as the Savior, the Messiah, the love that came down from heaven to earth. And love came down to Zechariah and Elizabeth to give them John to prepare the world for love to come down to us. And so here's my question for you today. What if God wants, what if God wants to use you to prepare the way for his son to come into someone's world today. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. But love isn't done coming down. And God isn't done descending. And what if what, if what God wants is to use you to prepare the way for his son 
to come into someone else's world today. That's what happened for Zechariah and Elizabeth. That's what happened when a son was given to them. That's what happened for John. God wanted to use John to point other people towards Jesus. What if God wants to use you? What if God wants to use you to point someone else towards his son, Jesus? The truth is, if I had to guess, that the reason you are here today, the reason you were in the room today, the reason you showed up today is because somewhere along the way in your story, in your life, someone pointed you to Jesus. I don't know who it was. Maybe for you it was a parent. Maybe for you it was a a friend, a teacher, a professor, a coach. I don't know who it was, but somewhere along the way, if we had time to go around and hear everyone's story, you could tell us the story of the person who pointed you to Jesus. I know someone pointed me to Jesus. I was really blessed, and I know a lot of you were, and some of you weren't. But I was blessed to have parents who pointed me to Jesus. And I'll never forget the night that we sat in our living room and my dad read us a story of the day that Jesus died. I'll never forget what that did to me. I'll never forget that feeling of what I had known in my head, like intellectually connecting with my heart and what I felt emotionally. And when those two things came together, it was a powerful moment for me. It was a powerful moment of revelation. Knowing and believing the story was true. And I'll never forget a few days later, being baptized into Jesus, making a public confession of my faith in him as my Lord and Savior. And along the way, I've had friends that have pointed me to Jesus. I've had mentors that have pointed me to Jesus when life was tough or the road seemed dark. There have been people over and over again. I've been really thankful and really blessed for that. That God has put a lot of people in my path to point me towards Jesus. And my guess is that the same is true for you. That somewhere along the way, someone has pointed you to Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I've been really blessed too to be able to point people towards Jesus. And if you've ever experienced this, you know what this feels like. You know, you wouldn't trade anything for it. You can take all the fame and fortune, accolades and trophies, and you can have it all. Because there's nothing that compares to having an opportunity to point someone else towards Jesus. And when you see them receive Christ. I mean, that Christmas morning is pretty awesome when you get to receive a present and you get to see the joy. It was awesome when my father's face lit up and saw the excitement of my daughter, but it doesn't compare to what happens when you see someone receive the gift of Christ. It doesn't compare with the joy you feel in your heart. It doesn't compare to the way our Heavenly Father's face lights up when he sees that happen. The question is, who has God positioned you to point towards Jesus. Because God has located you. He has positioned you. He has placed you in a place where you can point other people to Jesus too. Love came down to us, church, so that love could come down to others. Love didn't come down to us just so love could come down to us. Love came down to us so that love could come down to others. And the question I want to ask you and I want to ask myself today is who has God positioned you to point towards Jesus. If you would, let's stand. We are here today because 2,000 years ago, a son was given to 
to Zechariah and Elizabeth. And that son pointed to Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Who's going to be here next week? Who's going to be here next month? Who's going to be here next year? Who's going to be here a generation from now because you and I pointed people towards Jesus? I think the calling that John had on his life is the same calling that you and I have on our lives. To look at Jesus. To point people towards Jesus. And say, there he is. There's the hope. There's the answer. There's the truth. There's the way. There's the life. There he is. There's Jesus. And for you and I to get to point people towards Jesus is the greatest honor we'll ever know. And this morning, if... If you want someone to help point you towards Jesus, if your life has been going different directions and you need to get it going the right way, I'm going to ask our elders and their wives to make their way around the room. and They would love nothing more than to just pray with you and encourage you and point you back towards Christ. And this morning, if you would like, if you've never done this and you want to set your life on that course and point your life towards the Father and be someone who can point someone else towards Jesus and you want to step into the waters of baptism behind me and make the confession of faith of Christ as your Lord and Savior, we would love nothing more than to talk with you about that and to help you do that as well. Because there is nothing greater. There's nothing greater than, 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 than pointing, than aiming your life at Jesus. There's nothing greater than pointing other towards Jesus. And it may be today that you need to, in your heart and in your life and in your prayers, start preparing people to receive Christ. Who knows how many times people have prayed for me? Who knows how many times people have prayed for you? That we may be preparing others to receive Christ. Man, today as we, as we think about all the preparation it takes celebrate Christmas. I just can't get over how much God has done to prepare the way for you and me to see and to receive His Son. Today, if you haven't seen Him, if you haven't received Him, my prayer is you will. Because that's the story of Christmas. It's the story of what God has done for us. Let's sing.